0: When he met Jesus at the time of the temptation, you fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus rejected such an offer, but this man will receive it.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're looking at the Antichrist in our study of the book of Revelation. We've spent the past few sessions in chapter 13, and as we pick up today, Pastor Carl talks about the reason Israel plays a pivotal role in the end times and in the schemes of the Antichrist.
0: Why is it that this little patch of land the size of Delaware with a group of people that are so small they seem virtually insignificant that they are front and center. Why is it that the whole world is interested in Israel? Because God is going to complete the return of his son through that nation. Just as he brought Jesus through Israel, he's going to bring him back through Israel. So number one, this man is going to come as a man of peace and he's going to literally awe the world. The world is going to be blown away and that he's going to be able to do something in the Middle East that no one else can do. But there's a second reason why the world is going to follow this man. And it's the miraculous deception that is behind him. Look at verse three. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, remember, the term beast, we've already seen it. We'll see it, especially when we come to the 17th chapter, can have a dual nuance kind of like Hitler. When we say Hitler bombed England, do we literally mean that Hitler got in an airplane and pulled the plug and switch and watched the bomb? Of course not. We're saying Germany bombed England. So we're going to see that the term beast will refer to his kingdom, but it will also refer to a literal actual person. So here's the rub of verse three. John sees this beast who had a fatal wound that was healed. This man was dead, and he's brought back to life. Major problem in some people's thinking. Not for me, but in some people's thinking. How can the Antichrist be brought back to life if resurrection from the dead is a unique qualification of the true Messiah? Remember what Jesus said in that great chapter proving his deity, John five twenty one. Let me refresh your minds. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life. Even so, the son also gives life to whom he wishes. In the Old Testament, God, Elohim, is unique in his ability not only to spin you together in your mother's womb, not only to create life, but also to raise dead people out of the grave. That is a privilege that God alone has. Jesus said, I have that same privilege, therefore equating himself to the Father in John chapter 5. So here's the point of Rob. If the Antichrist is a fatal wound and he's dead, and he's literally brought back to life, how does that equate with the claim that Jesus makes that he uniquely has a power with the Father to bring people from the dead? You following the argument? So here's how people deal with it. Some say, well, what's really being brought back to life is not the literal antichrist, but his kingdom. It's referring to a nation that's been brought back to life. Now, I appreciate what they're trying to do because they're trying to protect the consistency of Scripture. The problem with that are many, number one, there's a personal pronoun that is used, his, in this verse. He's not referring to an organization. He's referring to a person. And when you come down to verse 12 in a few weeks, it says the first beast whose fatal wound is healed. He's referring to a supernatural event that happens to a person. Well, other people say, well, um, it's not a nation that was raised because we've got this personal pronoun here. It's a fake resurrection. He wasn't really dead. He just appeared to be dead and then came back to life. Well, let's think our way through that. Number one, can Satan do the miraculous? Of course he can. There are many, many examples in scripture where Satan does the miraculous. If you remember in the book of Job, he comes and he brings a tornado that wipes out Job and his family. In another case, he, he, he puts boils all over Job's body where the guy is in miserable pain. Uh, he works through the magicians of Egypt where they mimic and imitate the miracles of Moses, at least they attempt to. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of those who will cast out demons in my name and perform miracles in my name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. So Satan can certainly imitate miracles. In the Olivet Discourse, false Christs and false prophets will come and perform many signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So Satan can do miracles. So is it possible that Satan could have empowered this man to have been dead to be brought back? Of course, but we'll see. There's a difference between this miracle and the miracle that Christ did. In addition, it's very possible that God did this miracle that God raised the Antichrist from the dead. Can can could, could God do that? Well, think about Judas for a second. Do you remember when he set out the 10? Bring up Matthew 10, verse 1. Yeah, there we have. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, that's Judas 2, and gave them, all 12 of them, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Judas himself who is an unbeliever, who is never saved, who this morning is in hell, did miracles. And who gave him that authority? Jesus did. Jesus gave him that authority on that occasion. So certainly if God so chose, he could have given that authority uh, to Satan for the Antichrist to have been raised. Luther was absolutely right when he said the devil is God's devil. That is, Satan can only do what God allows him to do. But I think a more reasonable possibility is that Satan himself raised this person from the dead. But I want you to think your way through this carefully. If you were with me in my opening sermon in the Revelation, we saw from Revelation chapter one that Jesus is described as those who, as a person who resurrects people from the dead. Now think about people who are raised from the dead in the Bible. There are eight cases in the Bible. There's Elijah who raises the widow of Zarephath's son. There's Elisha, his protege, who follows, who raises the Shunammite's son. Uh, there's that man who's thrown into Elijah, Elisha's gravesite. And he's put in there dead. And as soon as he touches Elisha's bones, he's brought back to life. There's the widow of Nain's son that is raised by Jesus. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. Jesus raises Lazarus. Peter raises Tabitha, uh, also called Dorcas from the dead. And Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Eight resurrections. But all of those people were raised to life. None of them were resurrected to life not one. Raised to life, not resurrected to life. Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, was raised back to life, only to die again, buried over there in Israel in some tomb. Jesus, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first one ever to be resurrected from the dead. And so when Jesus says in John five twenty one, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. So while Satan may raise the antichrist, he will not resurrect the antichrist. Jesus, uniquely with the Father, has the power to resurrect people out of a grave, and an hour is coming when he will call the righteous out of the grave for a resurrection body suited to walk in heaven, and he will call the unrighteous out of the grave with a different kind of body. Look, Easter has a really negative message as well as a positive message behind it. Every year, more people show up here for Easter than any Sunday of the year. Uh, I think I'm not sure why some of them are coming, because if they really understood Easter, for some of them, it's not a message of hope, it's a message of doom. Because just as I'm assured as a genuine believer in Jesus to be given a new body for heaven... The unbeliever who dies is, an, and I'm glad they come. It gives me a chance to win them. But listen, the man who dies is an unbeliever. His body right now is not suited for hell. He needs a resurrected body where the worm can never eat it up and the fire can never consume it or it will live forever and ever and ever in that awful place of doom that God wishes none to go to. So Jesus uniquely has the power of resurrection. So here's this man. Look further, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, one of the heads or persons on this beast, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. So here's how some argue this. I didn't get into this, but let me explain it now. Some would say, I saw one as if it had been slain. It was, he wasn't really slain. He just kind of looked slain. And then he was raised from the dead. So therefore, we have no problems with this resurrection. The problem with that is the exact identical terminology, not just in English, but in Greek. And it can only mean one thing in the original is used in Revelation 5, 6. And I saw between the throne and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Was Jesus slain? Was as if slain? Was he literally dead? Yes, 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 yes. Say yes. All right. The Antichrist is literally dead, but he's raised. So think your way through this. Why is this going to happen? Here's a man. He has come on the scene as a peacemaker. The world loves him. He's done something that no one has ever been able to do. He's brought peace to the Middle East. Someone assassinates him. We're not told how. I don't know if they pull out a gun or a knife. He's assassinated. He's in a coffin. Just like the great presidents and leaders of the world lay in state. He's probably laying in state. And all the cameras of the world are watching this coffin. And all of a sudden, this man gets up. And he's raised to life. You talk about amazement. You talk about wonder. People are going, as we'll see in a moment, fall at his feet, and they will worship this person. Why are they going to do this? Listen to these words in 2 Thessalonians 2. He's speaking of the Antichrist. Then that lawless one, he's talking about the Antichrist, one of his titles. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. We'll study that in Revelation 20. And bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Don't miss that. Because today, people who are listening to my voice, who have heard the plan of salvation, because they did not receive the truth so as to be saved... Verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. The only people who are saved after their church is taken out are people who have never heard the gospel before in clarity and in power. And so if you're listening to my voice today and the rapture happens this afternoon and you're not a genuine believer, I can tell you what's going to happen to you because the Bible tells me. You are going to believe the deception of the coming Antichrist. It will be a judgment of God Almighty. Jesus spoke of such judgments even in his day. Walk while the light is among you, that you might believe in the light and become sons of light. But then he warned that though many miracles were done in these people's presence, Because they would not believe, they could not believe, and God judicially hardened their heart. Listen to what God's going to do according to verse 11. For this reason, because of their unbelief, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe, as the NAS margin in King James renders it, the lie. And I think part of that great lie is when this man is in his coffin and he comes back to life, And the world is going to say, he is Lord. And they will follow him. Now look, there's a lot of weird and crazy things that have been said about the Antichrist. I remember when John F.K. had a fatal wound. I was just a little boy. It was years later when I really read what was going on behind the scenes. See, at the 1956 Democratic Convention, Kennedy received 666 votes. And later in 1960, of course, he was elected. But he had already been branded with the number 666. And so when he was shot in the head and he lay in state, some evangelical pulpits across America were going wild and they were just waiting for Kennedy to climb up out of the coffin. And this is why it is so important that you understand the big scheme of things. You know, a few weeks ago when my daughter and I were talking about who's with us today about, you know, the second coming of Christ was supposed to happen I think last week or something, the week before last. Again, you know, it couldn't happen the second coming why? Because there's so many other things that have to happen before the second coming. Nothing has to happen for the rapture. All kinds of things have to happen for the second coming. You know, four or five years ago, some of you were saying, when are you going to preach in the four blood moons? I said, I'm not preaching in the four blood moons because it's sheer nonsense. And so we had these evangelical preachers who used sensationalism and they sold millions of books to make themselves wealthy. And now where are their four blood moons? never happened. Oh, they don't talk about him anymore. Too embarrassing. Look, when you understand the big scheme of things, you can't easily be deceived by these little quirky events that people blow up into something that has nothing to do with anything. Look again here, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was literally healed, and the whole earth was amazed. They followed him. They are in utter wonder and amazement, which leads me briefly to my second point. The Antichrist will receive then the world's worship. Not only will he have their wonder, he'll have their worship, their adoration. Look at verse 4. They worship the dragon why because he gave his authority to the beast now remember the term dragon refers to satan it's used 14 times in the revelation eight times in chapter 12 four times here in verse 13 a chapter 13 once in chapter 16 and if i remember once in chapter 20. the dragon is satan people are going to worship satan Now, Satan has always wanted worship. Was that not the essence of his fall that we studied in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28? Exactly. He wanted to be like God. When he met Jesus at the time of the temptation, you fall down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus rejected such an offer, but this man will receive it and they will worship him do you think they will literally pastor, or no they're worshipping satan i don't know maybe it will be like 1st corinthians 10:20 bring up that verse paul is dealing with pagans in the city of corinth who worship at some piece of furniture. Some of you here this morning are from India and you know your country's covered over with people worshiping objects and animals and trees. I saw one dear man, looked as skinny as a rail, it looked like a living skeleton, and he was no doubt taking his family's milk and pouring it at the base of some tree to worship his tree god. Paul says, I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. That little object, I'm sure they have a speaker god there because there's 300 million gods in India. Paul says they're not worshiping a speaker god. They're worshiping a demon behind that speaker god. And they won't just be worshiping the Antichrist. They'll be worshiping Satan who is operating behind the Antichrist and they worshiped the dragon. Why? Because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. Oh, my. It's going to happen. And what will they conclude? It says, they will say, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? They'll say, no one's like, it's a rhetorical question. No one is like the beast. No one can wage war with him. Think about it. He was dead, but now he's alive. How can anyone in this planet, how can anyone in this universe wage war against the beast? There's none like him. The world will believe it. Now remember, this is not what God is simply saying for the future. This is what God is saying for today. And so let me bring this down to where we live with a few applications as we close. What can we learn today in terms of application? Number one, for those of you who know Christ as your Savior, you need to be discerning. You need to be discerning. Even today, without the Antichrist to do Satan's bidding, the Christian is still in danger of being distracted and worse yet, even being deceived. And for everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. And for everything that God has done, Satan has done a phony thing. I mean, think about it. Here's uh, a, a parallel between Christ and the coming Antichrist. The Lord Jesus performs miracles. So won't the Antichrist. False signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus claimed to be God in the human flesh. The Antichrist will come as the incarnation of God. Christ causes and inspires worship of the one true God. The Antichrist will encourage worship of the dragon, the false god, Satan. The followers of the Lord Jesus during the tribulation will be marked and sealed as God. So will the Antichrist followers be marked and sealed with his number on their forehead and on their right hand. In chapter 5, Jesus' name is said to be Worthy. The Antichrist, when God sums it up, they'll have names of worship for him, but God calls them blasphemous names. Christ will come and sit on a throne and rule from Jerusalem. So the Antichrist will come and sit on a throne and rule from Jerusalem. We're going to study that. Christ calls his bride holy. God calls the so called bride or followers of the Antichrist when we come to the 17th chapter as a harlot. Jesus comes riding on a white horse. The Antichrist makes his preview as we study back in chapter 6 on a white horse. Christ has an army, so does the Antichrist. Jesus violently died, so will the Antichrist. Jesus is resurrected literally. The Antichrist will mimic resurrection. Jesus will reign the world, so will the Antichrist for a short time. Jesus is a member of the Holy Trinity. The Antichrist is a member of the unholy Trinity. Satan always has his fakes. Even in churches like this, I wish it were not true, but God tells me in every local assembly, not only are there genuine believers, but there are tares People who profess Christ, who could perfectly answer the diagnostic questions, but have never truly been saved. And so Satan has his counterfeit church. We studied that back in chapter 3. We, we studied the synagogue of Satan, as it was called. Satan has his deceitful spirits as God has his Holy Spirit. And so we need to live in a day of discernment. How do you live in dis- with discernment? Listen to these words. Hebrews 5, for everyone who partakes only of milk and is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, he is a babe. Solid food is for the mature, and because of practice they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Do you know what? There are so many Christians who in a babified way, they are exposed to the word of God. Do you know what the seeker-sensitive movement has done in this country? It has destroyed the evangelical church where we've seen in the last two weeks the largest evangelical Protestant denomination and the nation coming unglued. Why? Because solid biblical teaching has been absent from the pulpits. And people have been given feel-good verses out of context that have nothing to do with anything i listen to some of these guys and i could scream as i hear the air come from their mouths verses taken way out of context and people don't know any better because they have shepherds who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that is preaching the word. Don't get too heavy, don't get too thick, give it light. We want Christianity light because that's what will fill the churches. And we wonder why we have these mega churches with little to no impact. And a nation that continues to implode morally because the church has lost its light and its salt. You need to know this book. And some of you, you didn't read it all week long. You picked it up when you came to church today. You don't want to be deceived. Now, if you know Christ, you can't lose your salvation, but I can tell you, you can be knocked off kilter. And there's some great days of deception that are unfolding. I would say finally, if you're not saved, you need to be delivered. A counterfeit works well, only because it looks like the real thing. And there's a lot of religious terminology being used today. And people are being deceived. If you're here today and you don't know that you're really his. If you don't have the assurance that you've put your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. If the spirit doesn't bear witness with your spirit that you've become a child of God. If you've not been made, made a new creature from the inside out. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old life has passed away. All things have become new. You have a new capacity, a new proclivity, a new ability to be different. If that's not true of you today, my friend, you are in grave danger. And I would settle it in my heart before I left today. Call upon the name of Jesus and he'll receive you today. Let's bow together in prayer. And our Father I thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ that you gave to John to write for us as bond servants that we can read it and study it be challenged by it and changed as we apply the truths that are here help us individually as families as dads as moms as we disciple our children to disciple them with truth. May the word of God first be in our hearts that as we walk in the way, as we lay down, as we rise up, that we would be able to relate the word of God to every aspect of life. Father, I pray today for someone listening, maybe they're on our Graniteville campus, maybe they're in Bluffton, maybe live streaming, even in another place in the world. Someone who's never received Jesus, help them in simple childlike faith, To acknowledge what an offense their rebellion is to you. To change their mind and to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Help someone even today, Father, to do that. And give them the courage to openly, without shame, to give Jesus the honor and the glory. And I ask it in his holy name. Amen.
1: To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13, entitled The Master Spin Doctor, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV32. At Search the Scriptures, we're committed to introducing people to Christ, and to growing Christians in their walk with the Lord. If you can help support this ministry and this mission, call 877 787 7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we continue our study in Revelation 13 and a message entitled, One Nation Under a False God. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.